The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another show. This is Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick. Today, we're going to be talking about public relations and how we prepare ourselves and hopefully uh, get some really good uh, examples of some uh, not-to-dos. We have a great guest today, a gentleman I met uh, last year. I believe it was September in uh, San Diego at the International Emergency Management Society Conference, uh, Mr. Jerry McCusker. And he has a great book, uh, Public Relations Disasters, Tailspin, Inside Stories and Lessons Learned, um, which you can uh, find up on Amazon, I'm sure. That's where I got it. And there's some wonderful uh, bits of information in here, of uh, some unbelievable things that happen. And I'm sure Jerry's going to share some of them with us. Uh, welcome, Jerry. How are you today? Hi, yeah, I'm pretty good, thanks. Thanks. Great. Things are wonderful in the land of Oz. Everything's good in Australia. You know that. Yeah, always good in Australia. I love it down there. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Because you're you're you know quite the subject matter expert and world. Uh, you know, you're globally recognized in public uh, relations. So, can you kind of tell us what really that is, and you know, tell us a bit about yourself and where you come from and how you got into this? And yeah, sure. Uh, look, as you can tell by the accent, I originally hail from uh, Scotland. This isn't a bona fide Australian accent. And um, <laughs> basically, I started I started my career as a actually as a sports PR in sports uh, sponsorship optimization. And um, I worked for a boutique consultancy, and we also did a little bit of um, community engagement and community issues management. And um, when I moved across to Australia, um, I was I actually offered the chance to work with an integrated consultancy uh, who had a couple of what I would describe as issues-rich clients. They had had some branded products, but the production process or the way that um, elements of the products were put together um, were somewhat contentious. And the business in Australia wanted me to help use public relations to navigate these challenges, particularly from... Uh, stakeholders who saw these factors as ways in which they could uh, undermine the business or attack the business. So I guess at its purest form for me, I mean, I, I, I did study, I did my master's at the University of Stirling in central Scotland. Um, I've always seen public relations as that skill of being able to broker 
a better understanding between an organization and its publics is basically to try and take out the, the misinformation, uh, the misconceptions, uh, so that each side is able to understand each other's position a little bit more clearly. Um, so while people would typically think of um, public relations as maybe spin doctoring or um, uh, uh, some other, other approach, which is looking to obfuscate or confuse, I've always viewed PR as a skill which is trying to build better cohesion and better comprehension of different positions. And my, my current, sorry, I'll just say my, my current expertise is um, having put together the book that you referenced, Public Relations Disasters, and I delivered the manuscript to the publisher and they said, it's great, we just need an extra 30,000 words before we can go to print <laughs> um, and we can't change the production deadline. <clears throat> so I had to quickly find a whole bunch of new PR disasters uh, that I hadn't been previously aware of. And most of the new stuff seemed to be happening through digital technologies. Problems in communication that were emanating from computers, emails, uh, leaked presentations, privileged documents being sent through the dark web. And that pretty much turned my attention to, to the business of online reputation management and online mm -hmm. crisis management. Uh, hence the reason I got to where I got to, Alex. So it, the, the new way of communicating is obviously social media, um, as you pointed out, and we'll, we'll talk about more of that as well. But how has... How would you say that public relations has changed then from when you've started? Because social media is still relatively new, you know, and I still remember the days where if a company had a, an issue, you had to have a press release, you know, within a few yeah. hours, you know, and it's, now it's down to seconds and minutes. So, you know, what are your viewpoints? You know, what has really changed, you know, between you're, the you're two? Absolutely, you're absolutely right, Alex. I mean, I think when I put together the book, um, I reckon that most organizations had up to 24 hours to try and get the message straight, to try and get the message out there. Um, I think social media um, turned that concept on its head and the demand for instant information um, meant that organizations really had to respond within, I would say, up between two and four hours. I was telling clients three to four years ago, we've got about two to four hours to get our side of the story out there. And I'm actually working with a couple of clients, um, one of whom is in aviation, and they have set a, a social media acknowledgement time in the event of an issue or a crisis of seven minutes. Wow. It's insane. Um, and the reason that, that, that we, we take this seriously is because a concept that I'm working with, Alex, is organizations under crisis tend to lose narrative relevance. The, the people who are looking for information in a crisis are looking for the most immediate source of information. What they actually find, as an aside, is the first source of issue speculation. That's what social media is. Perhaps it's this, maybe it's that. It looks like this, it could be the other. It's issue speculation. And organizations with their processes and protocols are losing narrative relevance because they simply don't publish quickly enough and they don't publish um, in, in ways that let their content be found. So I guess the main change, Alex, is that the speed of communication has changed and the shift of where reporting power actually lies has also changed too. 
How so? I mean, well, we're the people of the power. It's the people's media. Mm-hmm. I mean, news mm-hmm. stations, I don't know how it is in Canada. In Australia, pretty much the postscript to every news nightly news bulletin is. And remember, if you've seen something on Facebook, no, sorry, if you've seen something about this issue, please send it to our Facebook, contact us on Twitter. The, the newsmakers, the old newsmakers are using social media as a frontline intelligence source. And in crisis management, that becomes particularly challenging for corporates who are hamstrung by slow processes, um, overwrought sense of having to secure legal approvals. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it really is a big challenge. Well, that's interesting. You mentioned the news places asking for, you know, if you see something, you have information, send it to our Twitter account, Facebook account, etc. I was on a news site today and I read two, had a chance to read two stories and both of them halfway through and um, the Twitterverse, as they call it, you know, had a response to this. And, you know, even the news sites now, they're posting some of these comments from the public. So, well, they, so that's, used to be, yeah, Alex. There used to be used to be called a source. It used to be yeah. uh, when it talks about this, a source has speculated, but now the media seem to validate the way that they report or spin uh, a, a crisis situation by saying, "Meanwhile, on social media, Alex said this and Jerry said that." Now, Alex and Jerry might not be experts in this particular crisis, but the media feels vindicated. Or, or feels that these these sources, unofficial, biased, prejudiced, misinformed, somehow validate their story. So, with organizations, then, when because you mentioned, you know, the speed of message and you know the change in how to do things these days and get your message out. Do you think for organizations, it's maybe because social media is still so new that there's a lack of understanding and training on organizations' part, or? A, a non-willingness to, you know, like big companies, you don't want it. They don't want to change, you know. No, I, I, I guess, look, I'm, I'm very defensive of communication staff. I think that there are oftentimes what I would what I, I would observe as a PR disaster is actually not a disaster that has co- been caused by the communications or the PR team. Um, I think most of the practitioners get it. They get social... Where I think there's a slight disconnect is they haven't understood how just as they are getting social, social itself has changed. And and to be honest, if you, for me, there's a couple of joined up lines. I think organizations need to understand the thing that actually drives crisis, the crisis narrative or crisis news reporting is often search engines rather than just social media. The power of search engines is absolutely huge. And, and one of the, bu- the the buzz phrases, Alex, that we talk to businesses about is we, we tell companies and we tell the C-suite, in the event of a crisis, SEO is more powerful than your CEO. The search engine optimization of your content can reach more people and can shape the narrative quicker than your, your chief exec can. I mean, I, I think there's almost a form of insanity. It, it's a... We see organizations under crisis and, and sometimes the comms teams are at the sharp end of the crisis. They're, they're trying to brief their CEO to speak to media, which seems to me like smearing a, a, a baby in, in chicken grease and, and putting it in front of a pack of wolves. It's, it's nuts. 
<laughs> Interesting <laughs> analogy. <laughs> yeah, like it's got to be visual. And, 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 you know, you say to a CEO, you know, you will effectively be torn to shreds at a modern crisis media conference. There is no longer the same deference or respect that there used to be in, in, in that kind of media exchange. And at a time where social media and digital media and SEO allow us to get our message about the crisis straight to the, the, the affected stakeholders, I, I, can, I, can't, I can't figure out why we don't do more of that. And I, I can't figure out why communicators don't do it better or more exhaustively rather than default to an old position of let's get ready to speak to the media. The media aren't interested in the truth of the crisis. The media are interested in the drama because the drama pulls eyeballs. The drama keeps mm-hmm. clicks on pages, which keeps advertisers happy. That's right. Yep. It's, it's, so it's, it's a lovely time to be working in comms, Alex. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it is. I have, We had a communications expert, uh, Jeanine Sakach, a few weeks back, and she had some incredible insights, too, regarding communications. Right. So if I'm an organization and I have, um, we'll say, a disaster or a situation of some sort, how would I use search engine optimization? What would I be looking for? You know, how would I, you know, if it's a tool that you're suggesting we use, how would I use that? You know, what so, would I do? Yeah. So when it, we run, we run um, uh, crisis simulations, um, uh, digital crisis simulations with our clients. So we basically can recreate the full range of media pressures um, which an organization will face under a crisis. We'll, we'll tailor a bespoke script and we'll run it. One of the things that we do observe that organizations don't do well enough is they, they may be monitoring uh, online media to try and find out when the incident is being talked about, but they're not really drilling into that content to find critical information. So, for example, one of the best things that you could do is use social media monitoring, not just to find out where the issue is being discussed, but to find out the keywords and the search terms that people are using when they reference the disaster. What I then have to do is take those keywords and search terms and lovingly craft them through almost every piece of content that the organization produces to respond to the crisis. The objective, Alex, is we're trying to make sure that the terms that people are looking for, so if people start to call it the the Alex explosion or, or, or the Fulick fiasco, (laughs) <laughs> we're trying to make we're <laughs> being playful. Um, we're trying to make sure that when they type through a search engine looking for that information, our content features those clues, those keywords, so that they find our side of the story. Remember, I think the gold for all businesses at the moment, Alex, is to make sure that in the event of a crisis, we don't lose narrative relevance. Why seed narrative relevance to a media? that does not have our best interests at heart, but why shouldn't we better control that message and go straight to stakeholders? So the, one of the key things is making sure that we monitor, not just for, oh yeah, a conversation is happening, but look at the, the big data surrounding that conversation. Who was posting? When did they post? How frequently? What did they say? What terms did they use? And then we integrate that kind of feedback into the messages that we produce so that nobody misses out on what we've got to say. That would work a lot better because otherwise, um, and I, I'm sure you've got examples of this, 
I, I as an organization, would probably end up want, getting into arguments with people. It's like, no, that's wrong. That's not what happened. You know, and instead of getting my message out, I'm starting a, uh, a what do they call it, a flame war. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, that's, that's, and then I'm kind of compounding my, my disaster to something even bigger. And absolutely, if you if you look at the what the the yield of data that we can get from this, I actually really like. We can track sentiment. We can we can gauge the strength of feeling, and then craft communications messages, which are cognizant of that strength of sentiment, rather than just being totally defensive and on the back foot. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's much more about yeah. We understand what our stakeholders feel, and you know we're, we're going to try and. Cr- situationalize our messages and our response within that. It just makes a lot of sense to harness this data better. So that's something I, I certainly think we get social media communicators know about it. Organizations are aware. But do we really work the data to optimize how we respond? I guess that's that's kind of a key point I would be pushing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with, with those messages we're crafting, and let's say we're, we're, we're doing what you say, um, you know, what you recommend, which makes complete sense. What do you think about, um, you know, when you hear things, uh, you know, l- no messages can go out until legal gets their fingers into it and change it, you know, and they end up changing the message because legal, the, you know, the first things a lot of those groups do is don't admit wrong, don't say this, don't do that, you know. What are your thoughts on that, that aspect? Yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good, good point, but I guess you've you've got to, you know, Alex, it's my observation that when a crisis breaks out, pretty, pretty much, I don't know how it is in Canada, but in Australia, pretty much the, um, the communications aspect is the most frequently criticised. So who's running the crisis comms response? Is it the PRs? Is it the comms guys? Is it your lawyers? Yeah. I, I think it has to be the PRs in terms of messaging. The, the, we have to cooperate with legal guys. But I spoke with the exec of a scandal hit Australian company many years ago. And I was, I was really frustrated and I said, his business was in a lot of trouble. And I said, why do you guys listen to your lawyers quit more than you do your PR advisors? His reply was easy. Lawyers can keep us out of prison. You can't. He had it. So yeah. the, the, he, he was very clear. I mean, we, we will listen to these guys because basically they can save our skin more effectively than you can. But when lawyers are running a crisis comms campaign and messages, boy, that's not a good space. We need okay. to understand that we're a team. So we've got to listen to what the legal guys' concerns are, but they have to respect us and listen to us as well. Because you you know, you might save yourself financially, but the reputation of the brand can be tarnished permanently. And it's mm. so you, your victory is pitic. It is very short term, very myopic. Mm, interesting. On that, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. We're talking with Jerry McCusker about uh, public relations and PR disasters out there. And we'll be right back with more of Preparing for the Unexpected. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. 
we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Can you truly be a change agent in your community? We think you can. Tune in every week for Envision with host Thomas Rosenberg. The show is all about building an inclusive and just future by connecting people with ideas. Connect with what's happening in your community, your country, and around the world as Thomas speaks with amazing guests who are fostering change and making their communities better. Envision is heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Uh, We're talking with Jerry McCusker today about uh, public relations disasters and uh, getting lots of insight uh, regarding social media and, you know, lots of other good ideas. Um, And I do want to apologize to everyone uh, if sometimes it sounds like my voice starts disappearing. Uh, I did have bronchitis last week, so my voice starts to go if I talk too much. So my apologies for that. Um, Jerry, um, in our last segment, we were talking a lot about social media. And during our break, uh, you were talking that uh, you've had some recent experiences that you wanted to uh, talk about. Can you uh, give us some insight on that? It was just that that kind of exchange about how PR and comms can work really closely with the legal guys. Uh, We were working on a recent uh, crisis management situation, and um, a national broadcaster had basically... Uh, run a fairly sensational and erroneous story on a fairly influential news uh, report show. Um, Rather than go to the traditional level, what we need to do is is have a position statement. What we need to do is prepare a a press briefing kit or an information kit. The first thing that we really produced, because we understand how modern media works, Alex, people want to watch footage rather than read reports. Mm-hmm. So we actually, we realized that because the news report had gone with something visual, we needed to fight fire with fire. And we produced a video um, which actually informed the issue and, and tried to almost correct the framing of what the, the news company had said. Um, that was the first asset that we produced. And the lawyers worked very closely with us to help finesse the script. So... It's the, the two disciplines can work very, very well together and very productively. We drafted a script. The lawyers gave us some feedback or concerns over expressions that we had used within that. But once we had their legal you know, green light and they said, look, if we phrase it this way, we will in no way be exposed or this would be a safer ground to occupy. We went into video production and we had produced a video within, which was a really fast turnaround given the approvals. We produced a video within two days. And that video became the, the, the absolute fulcrum. That was the hub of how we spoke to media, how we briefed journalists, how we briefed chiefs of staff and politicians, how we briefed industry stakeholders. It's, it's, it's understanding that, that we need to get our messages out in formats that people really can relate to. We need not well, to operate from yeah. the old paradigm. 
we need to understand that people want to, they are attention stressed, they're time pressed, attention stressed. Give it to me quickly. We heard it described as we live in a soft serve information culture. People want to consume their, their materials as easily as they can consume a, uh, an ice cream cone from the, um, from the, 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 the Dairy Queen. You know, so let, let's make yeah. it soft, let's make it easy. It, it's very, very, it, it requires no challenge to really engage with. They can see pictures and that's what we produce and we work very well with the legal guys in making sure that speed was of the essence. Well, it's interesting you mentioned speed because I was going to ask you, you know, how long did it take to do? And you said roughly two days. Now, considering what you said earlier regarding social media, was that two days, was that beneficial or was that harmful because the the news report would have been out two days before? So, you know, would two days be too long or? Yeah, look, the two days, I've got to be honest, the two days was partly due to the inevitable client wrangling of do we, we really like that line? Do we really, you know, almost the script yeah. got approved and then got renegotiated. Um, look, in this particular case, so I, I, we, weren't, we weren't the actual brand or company that was in the crosshairs of the crisis. If we had have been that company, two days would have been, yeah, it would have been painfully long. Or I'm sure but, social, but we, social yeah. media would have gone crazy on you, you know. Well, it can do. I mean, it's basically because the people who are using it uh, are, are highly opinionated, oftentimes highly stressed. Maybe they're in a per- perilous situation themselves, so emotions are running high, and speculation abounds. It's not information that abounds when a crisis breaks. It's social speculation. But, um, but the, 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 I think the point is just really that cooperation between the legals and the comms guys was good early on. We were on safer ground, and that, that video material is still being used to help brief, frame, and explain. It really is a glorified explainer video, which, which tries to keep all stakeholders, uh, give them an awareness of the full picture. Uh, still a really useful asset. If we produced a three-page PDF, uh, I don't know. I can't remember the last time I shared a PDF across social media. Oh, yay. I'm going to open my Facebook page. There's a PDF on there for me. Doesn't that, have. that goes on for pages, you know, screen. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I was always told, uh, and I still use it, well, I try to as much as I can, if you can't get your message on one uh, window, you know, where you're writing your email, you know, it's too long. Pick up the phone. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to keep it short, concise of what you want to tell somebody. You know, Alex, three some of the, princip- the principles that you reference haven't changed, but the speed of the game has and the formats with which organizations have to Battle to win narrative relevance under crisis, that that has got quite acute. That has got really, really acute. Well, I remember you had a comment in San Diego last year, and you said that social media has basically given everyone a voice now. People who never had a voice before can now anonymously state what they want. And it could be the right information, could be the wrong information, conflicting information, could back up your message, could contradict your message. You know, so, you know, the social media uh, has created this whole new, you know, audience that may not have been there before. Absolutely. It's, it's from a reputation point of view, and we're talking, you know, you want to talk about uh, crisis. And, and I guess I look at the reputation side and the, the stakeholder engagement. It has kind of made it much more fraught uh, and much more difficult. But, you know, when you harness it right and, and you, as I say, if you use the intel and you, you're able to empathize and respond and 
And look as if you've got some value to add to the conversation of the crisis or conversations about the crisis. You know, you can really harness those online communities and turn things around so that people better understand the reality of what's going on. So, you know, we can use it for good as well as evil, um, or it can be used for good as well as evil. And the skill is figuring out all of the, the, ticks, the, the tricks and techniques and tools to make sure that, again, I'll still come back to this, Alex, it's just in my head just now, don't lose narrative relevance in a crisis. Why lose narrative relevance? So would that mean, you know, not getting into, um, let's say Bob, you know, post something on uh, Twitter, which is completely opposite than my message. What should I do with what Bob is saying? Do I contradict him? Do I get into a a war with him? You know, what do you suggest? I'm I'm usually looking to make sure that the, the social media and the online monitoring platform offers me more than a notification that Bob has spoken. I want to use the analytics to find out who is Bob, how influential is Bob, how many people listen to Bob, what interest or agenda is Bob pushing. Um, once I understand all of that kind of stuff, I can decide this guy's either an, uh, an influencer or he's a lone wolf barking in the wilderness. Mm. And, and you know, so it's that kind of it's using that big data, that deeper data, to try and figure out is it appropriate to speak. Now, if there are enough individual Bobs talking about the same concerns or expressing resentment or anger or fears, then what I would do is maybe collectively address that point, but make sure I make that position available at the SEO level, at the search engine level, rather than getting into tit for tat spats. Right, because then you're then you're losing the message, like you said. You know, you're you're now just you're making headlines for the stupid things you're saying and the arguments you're saying, rather than the message you want to communicate. And also, in the event of a crisis, let's face it, we've all been there. Resources don't. We don't suddenly have new luxuries of time and resource and budget. Everything right. gets a little bit more tightly pressed. So, what I want to try and do is not have a million conversations with a million bobs. I want to try and use the data to evaluate. How influential is this and how much of a trend is this is being established and then be able to counter that or inform it. And, you know, I don't attack the person. I might just offer a hyperlink, which is an acknowledgement piece of, you know, I, I use a hyperlink to acknowledge Bob's concerns, but linked to a video, a PowerPoint presentation, a, a, a picture from the, the front line of the crisis to show that it's under control. Directing to the, the the real source, the real information, not not the hearsay and conjecture. Well, it's almost as if, it's, as I said, Alex, we know we used to, in crisis management, who's going to be our spokesperson? It's almost as mm-hmm. if, like, we, we no longer just have one spokesperson, but we can have one single source of truth. And I suggest to all of the corporates and, and organizations listening who are interested in crisis management, that source of truth shouldn't, shouldn't be a media outlet. It should be you. Mm-hmm. Why seed control? Because they need to chase eyeballs. They need to create drama because drama keeps eyeballs on pages. Eyeballs on pages justify advertising content or, or you know, the, the, the recommissioning of a grant and a, or a public subsudy. So mm-hmm. the, the, their agenda, their editorial agenda is already biased. What if we became newsmakers in our own right and were trusted? Look, we live in an era of fake news. I don't businesses take the moral high ground and say, you know what, we're going to report this, even in bad times, as fairly as you would expect us to. What a strong, mm-hmm. what a strong statement of 
of engagement and and uh, brand building that would be yeah when we when we when we stuff up we'll admit it too and you'll hear it from us do you have an example of you know a couple of examples of you know, one uh, good example of what you just said you know <clears throat> protecting their brand and making it you know, almost as though they came out of a crisis stronger and an example where um, you know they they really harmed themselves, you know, not just because of the crisis, because of the way they managed the crisis, like a, a positive and a good, you know, example. Um, on, on the positive, um, I have to say no, because it's a mythical utopia that only <laughs> I inhabit at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't, you can't blame me for being an optimist. <laughs> Look, I will share, I will share a case from, from Australia. No names and no pack drills, but let me talk about principles. Um, there was an organization, um, <clears throat> what I would call a love brand, Alex. So the mm-hmm. business is in providing uh, a positive experience and uh, or a pleasurable experience. And they found themselves in an instant where several people had, there had been several fatalities at their premises whilst ostensibly pursuing fun and pleasure. And I'm, I'm making it sound perhaps a little bit, bit more... <laughs> more um, <laughs> sleazy than it was. It was, it was a fun park. It was a theme park, okay. <laughs> and, Good, um, I'm glad you clarified that. <laughs> happy, to, happy to clear it up. So what, what, what had happened, there'd been a couple of fatalities and, and that organisation were probably, were probably, were perceived to be slow to respond to the crisis and the pace of their response saw them lambasted. They were canned Oh, you don't care. You're not making emotionally connective statements. You're not getting your message out there. So the organization was absolutely pilloried. The, the end game was that the then um, director of communications um, uh, was moved sideways to another role and has then subsequently been released by the company. And, and the, the strange thing is, Alex, through a monitoring partner, a media monitoring partner of ours, um, we were able to find out that organization actually did their first online posts after the crisis had occurred around the two and a half hour mark, which actually is not bad in terms of getting an acknowledgement message out there. It's, it's not too bad to get a message approved and, and out there within two and a half hours in terms of contemporary practice. But because they didn't know how to optimize and tell people that they were acknowledging that that early, it, it became perceived as they haven't done anything. And that's an easy, that's a very easy lie to spread. Oh, yeah, there's mm-hmm. a big disaster. And the comp- what the company doing? Nothing. So that's a case where the company actually had moved in the right direction, but hadn't been seen to post visibly enough or, or with enough concern or, or regret showing that they're taking responsibility and pursuing remedial action. And they were canned for it. The, the ultimate cost of that? The communications director uh, lost her job. And I reckon whenever she look, rocks up for a new one, what do you think the recruiter or the selection panel do when a new candidate steps forward for a, a role which involves crisis management? Yeah, they're they going to look for their history, yeah. And, and the person's name will be for, forever framed in that. So it's not that... It, it comes back to what we referenced earlier, Alex. It's not that companies don't know about social or don't know about online media and understand their power. 
but they haven't fully explored all of the ways to optimize and make sure that they don't lose crisis uh, uh, narrative relevance. And effectively, that had happened. I still would say, you know, looking at what they did, the police told them not to, to comment, and they listened to the police. And they were two and a half hours before they made an acknowledgement. An acknowledgement statement shouldn't prejudice or, or imperil your, your reputation or your financial responsibility. There has been an incident. We're deeply mm-hmm. concerned. We're doing all we can. But they hadn't optimized and made sure that everybody understood that that was what they were doing. And, and there was a huge cost to that. So, yeah, that was a very, very salient. So I'm glad I was able to clear up that it was a theme park and not where your, your listeners were. <laughs> it, it might have something <laughs> of pleasure. So I'm glad that we cleared that. <laughs> so with, with that, you know, using that example that you just went through, could that kind of map back to social media still being so new that a lot of people in crisis management and PR really don't understand you know, this new medium yet, you know, it, it's still, you know, they're still thinking that they can address this new medium the way they used to do with, you know, the three page PDFs, you know, and press releases and standing, you know, in front of a microphone, you know, uh, absolutely. that absolutely. kind of a thing. Yeah, you're right. There's no doubt. I think that they understand the media exists. They understand what the channels do, but I think there's probably a, there's the appreciation of how it frames and sustains the reporting narrative in the event of a crisis is probably a little bit undercooked. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, we're going to take a break again, and we'll be right back talking with uh, Jerry McCusker about public relations. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My favorite coffee story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. 
And welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. We're talking with Jerry McCusker today about public relations and uh, you know a lot of the uh, uh, workings with social media and how to address you know our responses to uh, disasters you know through various communications and channels and optimizing our message and getting it out there. Uh, so, Jerry, I'd like to touch base on a, a couple of things now. The the first one being, what uh, what do you recommend for our business continuity planners out there that you know, or disaster recovery planners and emergency response and crisis communication managers out there? You know, what recommendations? And actually, I'll just go into the second point too. You know, and tips that you might have for them. You know, because they're always tasked from audit to make sure they have a documented plan. You know, you follow, thou shall follow these steps. But, you know, a disaster can go any way and, you know, you can't necessarily do that, you know, each time, you know, there, there's no set response to every single disaster. So, you know, do you have tips, you know, things that you would recommend, you know, to, to all of our listeners? Yeah, look, if, if, if I was, as a communicator, speaking to BCP guys, uh, BCP practitioners, business continuity, I, I would say, pl- please start to take communications a little bit more seriously. Please understand that that, that crisis response, uh, crisis recovery, crisis relief, it all hinges on effective communication. Uh, and, and, and Yeah, sorry, Alex. No, I, I agree completely with that one. I always tell people it's like the cornerstone of an archway. You know, that's, you take that cornerstone out or that keystone out, everything comes crashing down. Well, we heard uh, Harold uh, Dragger at the Teams conference in San Diego saying, you know, basically the precede the most important part of any crisis response is communication. And yet, despite all the tools and technologies, despite all of the, the gizmos, gadgets and widgets, we still, we, we don't really get that right. You know, my concern is we haven't moved along with the digital times. And and one of the things that I, I love doing, uh, I don't know if you know that, that recently we built a, a crisis simulation portal. So we've built a, we've built a, a digital crisis simulation portal, which, which acknowledges the fact that we can't prepare for digital crisis with felt tip pens and butcher's paper, you know, full scat paper. We, the, the crisis news narrative happens online. It happens in digital and fast changing media. And that's how we need to prepare. So the first thing I would say to BCP guys is start to prioritize communications. Give the, get the communication leads, uh, give them the place around the table and do an online crisis simulation. Experience the speed at which the narrative will change. Um, and the, the other thing that I think you've got to do is we said earlier, Alex, we've we, we got to make sure that we face the facts. Um, you, know, so, you know, I talk about the importance of monitoring, not so that we can find stuff, but so that we can dig into what the stuff that we find means. We need mm-hmm. to be able to establish a helicopter view of the issue, the, the catalyst, how it began, the sequence of events, the spread of contagion, the aggravating circumstances, the trending direction of that narrative. So we need to face that fact through really good monitoring. <clears throat> and then counterintuitively, I reckon that businesses need to become better at being emotional in a crisis. I I wrote a piece uh, for an Australian uh, marketing title um, the other day, and I'm talking about why don't organisations use clickbait-style headlines as part of their crisis comms response, Alex? 
So I'll give you an example. A crisis is broken out at Fulick HQ, and typically um, what we'll do at Fulick HQ with McCusker PR in charge, we'll produce a statement which says, Fulick incident status update. And then I'll go online as a stakeholder, and I see Fuller incident status update, and I see another one, five things we learned about the Fulick explosion. Which headline do you go for, Alex? Mm, yeah, well, I'm the one with the uh, the, the uh, disaster, so. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 you know, we sanitize the way that we express things, and we don't become emotional enough. Right. We don't, be, we don't know how to communicate it, um, in a really dramatic or emotional way so that people will, will they want to see our side of the story. You know, if it's five things about the, the McCusker explosion, I want to be able, if I'm the McCusker Foundation, I want to be respond to five things to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. But we tend mm-hmm. to write position update, incident latest um, CEO statement. We don't know how to um, meaningfully engage around the narrative. I'm talking about narrative a lot today. <clears throat> and all makes sense. Yeah. Well, I don't know why we don't we don't we don't just control it better. And I think mm-hmm. I think there's other the, the other tip that I would say is, you know, I sometimes I do think that no comment is a good strategy. I think mostly we have to show that we are trying to sort the issue out. But so whatever possible, we need to fix the problem, and we need to be able to also maximize the spreads of letting audiences know how well we're trying to fix the problem. I think organizations um, are a little bit too modest in the way that they respond to crisis. They maybe be doing the right thing, but they don't storytell that like a piece of online drama. How so? Meanwhile, sorry? How so? Well, well, that's an interesting point. So, Because I think that in the event of any crisis, or the modern crises that I observe, crises that I observe, is that footage trumps followers. I want to see the shaky, handheld camera thing from the front line, right? Mm-hmm. And organizations maybe are busy doing the right thing, but they don't, they don't dramatize or, or effectively storytell how they're responding to the crisis. They tend to do these status updates, position updates, do you see, it's, it's, not a, mm-hmm. it's not a compelling editorial approach to crisis narrative management. As, you, as you're, you're talking, I'm thinking of two examples where um, uh, one, one is 9-11, where you saw Rudy Giuliani walking down the streets, you know, giving direction and, you know, you know instantly taking charge and getting the message out there what's going yeah. on, what's happening, you know, and then um, the recent, uh, you know, hurricanes where your updates, uh, if you were watching the news, you saw reporters standing in the storms, but otherwise it was people standing in their shirts, you know, and ties standing behind a microphone, you know, yeah. d- d- different ways of getting that message across, you know. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I think it's really, it's, I also remember you, the horrific uh, building fire in London, of a couple of months ago, the Grenfell. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, yes. I remember when the mayor of London attended the scene um, to, again, to be on the ground to express concern, and he was savaged by the the anger of that community. Do you remember? Do you remember he was he, he he was at the site. He tried to say we're concerned, we're going to do the right thing, but he exposed himself to the ire 
the fury and the emotional torture of community, mm-hmm. the community that had been uh, involved. But it's but it's finding a way to be close to the action and connected to the narrative. I said to a client, um, a marine um, energy client recently, I said, in the crisis scenario that we're running for you, who is closest to the incident? And they said, well, the, the activist group. I said, who's closest to the incident? Well, the contacts to the activist group. And I made them think about it and I said, who's closest to the incident? And they said, our staff. I said, mm-hmm. right. So why aren't your staff framing the visual narrative for this crisis? So mm-hmm. now we're moving on to um, basically t- to equip frontline um, operational staff to know how to shoot video accurately that they can feed to the comms team. Mm-hmm. If footage trumps followers and footage is things that people want to see in the event of a crisis, Alex, why yeah. don't our people know how to shoot the content that we need so that we can put out messages which are from the front line, but they frame the issue in a responsible and transparent way. Well, I do that myself. You know, you look at um, you know YouTube or you know some of the news sites. You know, and they've got bits of film. I always look at those. You know, just speaking personally, I always look at those to see what's actually going on, and then the first few paragraphs to get the gist of who's saying what. You know, to to understand, okay, this is what's going on. I don't scroll for the whole, the whole exactly. thing because you know, it, because as you say, you know, we're we're all visual. We don't have the time for all of that stuff anymore. And what else you is know? it, Alex? It's a proof point. If mm-hmm. and even better, if it's got a watermark which shows the date and the time, and it's a proof point. Mm-hmm. And again, if I can show, hey guys, the incident has happened in our premises. We're filming it. We're making the content available to you. You know, if we were even in good enough control, we might even run a Facebook stream if we felt secure and we felt that we were managing the incident brilliantly. It's it's about us building our credibility as a news-making organization. You know, you know, business continuity might, in a, in a year or two's time, Alex, business continuity might, might be walking happily hand-in-hand hand with brand journalism. Yes. Why wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. Interesting brand, point. Yeah. I hadn't really thought of it that way, but that that makes that makes sense, you know, to get the message out there, and you know, crisis communications is a part of all, all the business com- communi- uh, business continuity world. So yeah, that makes sense. You know, that's an interesting point. I think it's about it making sure that we establish authority. I think mm-hmm. it's it's a pheno- it's a phenomenal time to be working in comms and reputation. It, it's a challenging time because of the, a lot of the factors that you've brought up and and challenged me on, but. What a great time to try and help clients and the the organisations that we represent become narrative influencers. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it's we can do this. Media are struggling. Media mm-hmm. are struggling. Newsrooms are struggling. So who's going to fill that? The, the 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 request for information isn't going down. Who's ideally positioned to capitalise on this? We yeah. are. But I I think we can do it ethically. I think we can do it in adherence to community expectations and standards. Yeah, we'll, we'll better assert our position, but we might also be brave enough to be transparent to say, you know, in this one, yeah, we've got to cop it. We, we didn't do the right thing or our processes let us down. But why don't we tell that story rather than let the media frame it for us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some good good points uh, to, to think on. I do like the... Uh, 
holding a test um, or tabletop walkthrough type thing, uh, basically on the social media, you know, a test uh, on that because a lot of the business continuity and disaster recovery tests, they're all about, you know, most of them are, uh, you know, getting your business processes up and running and your technology or how do you get your facility. But communications, you're right. Sometimes there's a, an afterthought and they're not always a part of the table. You know, and you saw, and, you, you saw, sorry, Alex, on you go. Oh, and, and I do like the piece of um, potentially training our staff to, to be able to do some of this, you know, film that what's going on to be able to get your right message out there. So someone, you know, who's walking down the street, oh, so-and-so's having an issue. So this must be what's going on, you know, and you start losing your narrative before you've even begun. You know? So, uh, you know, there's some really interesting points in there. And I liken that to... Um to, to me, losing the crisis narrative is like playing Real Madrid at soccer, which is my, my, my huge passion, and giving them three, giving them a three-goal start in the first half and saying, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll catch them in the second half. We'll equalise in the second half. No, we're no, Real you Madrid. No, you, you're, not, you're always going to be... It's the same thing, Alex. You're going to be chasing the game, right? That's right. You're going to be chasing the game against the fastest. The, the, you've already got a lead. And, um, yeah, it's really, really hard. And, and I, also, just a quick word... I don't think we can do tabletop exercises with felt tip pens and butcher paper anymore. It's, it's, it happens digitally. The way that we exchange information within our companies happens digitally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, practice for this, practice sharing information, practice getting messages approved. And the real thing that we think that we can do is, is let organizations actually practice that interactive publishing um, with live social media, we've got simulated social media feeds, simulated radio content, simulated news articles. Guys, the tools are there to help us. Are we going to use them? Are we going to emerge as heroes from this crisis or are we going to emerge as losers? Yep. And I think that's a great way to end. Uh, I thank you, Jerry, for some wonderful insight and great tips and examples. I hope everyone out there uh, really uh rethinks your uh, communication uh, strategies and really looks at it from a different perspective. Um, Jerry, thanks very much. Have a great day down in Oz. Um, your weather, I know, is much better than ours. Um, and your, <laughs> thanks, your, Real, your, your Real Madrid example, I, I just wanted to say Chelsea is better, but, you know, that's me. <laughs> Alex, thanks very much for letting me speak to your cohort and your listeners. I really do appreciate it. Uh, I'm happy to have you, and anytime you want to come back, you just let me know. Uh, Otherwise, everyone out there, thank you for listening. Um, Join us next week, and in the meantime, stay prepared, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.